with the Eric Andrews Lang Show. We're back, and right now we're in the clubhouse of Rivermont Golf, Rivermont Golf Club. But there's another C on the end of it I saw from outside. Rivermont Golf, I saw two Cs, RGCC. It used to be Rivermont Golf and Country Club. Oh, I see. Now Chris has changed it. We sold the pool and tennis, and so it's just a golf club. So now it's just Rivermont Golf Club, which is RGC which is something I believe in called the Random Golf Club, which I think you're a part of now. Mark Hoban, you are the superintendent of Rivermont Golf Club. Um, I could go into a lot more detail to define you, but I feel like that's what we're here for, to, uh, to talk together. How, how do you see uh, being a superintendent? Well, it's the greatest job in the world because it's my office is always outdoors, uh, and I love the outdoors. Even though if it's raining or cold, I still would prefer that than an indoor uh, office space. So I look at it that way. I get in very early, get to see the sunrise and the beauty of the day starting every day. Um, don't have to work at night, so I I, uh, I appreciate the uh, the elements. And you um, basically. I, I, We'll get into a lot of the intricacies of how you do your job and and how you make it you know a craft and how it's so unique. I guess the overall theme for that would be sustainable uh, golf course agriculture. Right, just low inputs and kind of on that um, uh, less less usage of pesticides and inorganics and more environmental friendly type uh, slant to my management style right uh, there's so many interesting things I want to dig into this when uh, we played the course this morning we talked a lot about all the facets of this so we'll get into that um, what I'm kind of curious to know um, you know Mark I'm sorry um, uh, D- Dave told me about you know Dave is the mem- friend of the pod Dave Marcusilli was on the podcast um, a while back, when we were right. at Waste Management, we met, because he's based in Arizona, a, um, uh, what do you call yourself, Dave? Design coordinator. Design coordinator for, for Nicholas Design Group. And um, so, anyway, he said he found you on TurfNet, and I was curious to know how the internet has maybe helped innovate, uh, you know, the work that you do on the grass and the dirt that we play golf on. Wow. Um, I guess TurfNet and Randy Wilson has just brought to light some of the things that I'm doing innovatively or um, in conjunction with what I've learned at other places. Um, But I don't sense that there's a lot of people beating down my door to say, hey, can you teach me? Can can I learn from you some of these things? Um, You know, we're uh, product driven on the quality of, of our turf is very demanding and imperfections are frowned upon and so the pressure is on us as a turf grass provider of fine turfs to to almost perfection you know they see perfection on TV each week on the tour and um, you know our membership is is not that um, forgiving as far as what they expect after after they get inundated week after week with with perfection, and um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, you know, <laughs> to chime in, I mean, that's that's not just your membership. That's the 
millions of golfers around the world, you know, and and as well, your proximity to Augusta National, we're about two and a half hours. We're we're just north of Atlanta. Right. We're in Alpharetta, right? Is that true, or Roswell? We're in uh, Johns Creek. Used to be part of Alpharetta, but you're, you're right. It's that uh, Randy coined it the uh, Augusta Syndrome. They watch that. They see the azaleas. Why can't we have azaleas on our course? Why are our fairways not green when theirs are? It really is uh, a real a reality. And the and the simple answer is what? Um, having a strong leadership like our owner Chris Cupid, who has um, has a vision and is willing to stand behind. Uh, our program of going a different route and using less inputs and looking to have a healthier soil to suppress diseases and and pests Um, and we're being successful at it and it's something that I feel our members are being educated on and, and are starting to realize how much of an advantage they have here not just a good playing conditions but they have the wildlife and the native grasses and the different visual aesthetics month after month instead of the typical Atlanta course it's green the summer brown in the winter we have a lot of things going on month to month so it's an exciting thing and we've involved our members in some of our our programs with bird counts and uh, monitoring bird houses and things like that so it's it's added value to the membership so to go back to the beginning uh, when did you arrive here uh, at Rivermont uh, I came here, was hired in the 2005. Okay. So this is your 14-year project. Right, right. Because when you got here, it was standard. Were you guys overseeding? No, we were not overseeding uh, except for the club grounds and the practice tee. Everything else was uh, just Bermuda went dormant in the winter and had the brown look, and we had bent grass greens that were uh, old and inundated with uh, POA. But you didn't have what you call natural grasses and what I would call tall grass that sits next to the creeks on the property. Correct. And, yeah, we were groomed wall-to-wall. We used pesticides wall-to-wall. We mowed wall-to-wall. Um, so there were watered wall-to-wall, a lot, of, a lot of inputs. And we changed all that in the years to follow. Chris had played uh, the golf course that I was at previous and saw some of the innovative native grass things that I brought in there and, and and he felt comfortable with me starting that program here and it's just snowballed into how far can we go. To give you an idea if you're listening, uh, you know, and I know I, I try to really keep this podcast um, open source for all levels of golf knowledge and make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, what we're talking about is, it, it's the, the example I'm going to bring up is visually, when you go to Augusta, or when you see it on television, right, 12 is a great example. So that, that short grass there on the front face of that little par 3 just goes right to the water. But when you go into the media center, or when you Google old images of Augusta, you notice that, I mean, there's tall grass all over the place. Like tall grass, like I'm talking 3 feet of grass, the same kind that you see in Scotland when you play, or Ireland. Um, or abandoned dunes, and and that's fescue, or, or what you call it, it's broom's hedge here. Correct, correct. We have a combination of those two. So, you know, what you get is a much more natural-looking course, probably more in the vein of this core Crenshaw movement, right? Um, when Mark Riley, Mike Mike Riley, uh, built the course in '72, something like that. 
Um, no, it was a Joe Lee original, yeah, 1972, 73. So Joe Lee was the original designer. Right. And then in 2005, uh, 2006, we had a redesign by Mike Riley. I see. Okay. But, but either way, th- they were just looking at the bones of the course, and you came in and added this, I'm going to use a, probably the incorrect term, but it has a rustic feel Right, I, I call it. Yeah, we we did the natural framing of of the golf course, and um, that enhancement brought in all the uh, wildlife and the pollinators, and just added added a more um, contrasting visual to the product out there, the the golf course. And you know what you get if you're if you're listening and you're trying to visualize what I'm talking about, what you end up getting is actually a a much richer visual experience on the course. You feel like you feel more like you're going for a walk in nature rather than stepping onto hallowed grounds, which I prefer. Um, but the interesting thing that I found out after playing for a few hours and then talking to you again was that there was a fascinating um, byproduct that may, for you, have actually been the initial reason to make this change. Uh, the Filtering of the water, you're saying. Right. Um, you know, golf courses are looked at um, in a negative manner from the general public, but really we use very low inputs and we have a great product. Turf binds up and holds uh, nutrients and uh, chemicals and doesn't allow them to leach into waterways, but we enhance that by letting our natural grasses grow up around our waterways so we have this really heavy buffer uh, and it entraps particles and contaminants and and doesn't allow it to drop into the waterway. We're the last um, drop-off before this water goes directly into the Chattahoochee. So the water coming into our sites has a lot of runoff from streets and some of the condos have oil and and contaminants in it and we pick it up. But but it's filtered through our property and when it goes off the property it's, it's a cleaner product than when it entered. And now, is this a, um, so so what you're kind of saying is that this golf course is benefiting perhaps not just the immediate community, but maybe anyone down the river. Yeah, downstream uh, is is benefiting, of course, from it. And, and that's that's a big deal. Uh, the, the waters, uh, the Chattahoochee that it dumps into is, you know, there's a battle between us and Alabama and Florida for who has the whites to this water. And Again, the further you go downstream, if you get into uh, south of Atlanta, there, that water is same water we had left our property is, is really has a lot of uh, negative contaminants from, uh, from the city of Atlanta. Interesting. Um, now, is this a cost-effective switch or is it more expensive? I think it's cost effective. Uh, we found our first year we dropped our fertilizer inputs in half on. Uh, Those are expensive. Oh yeah, fertilizer is quite expensive. What, what is the most expensive commodity that that you have to purchase year in? Um, I think it's uh, fungicides for the fungicides. Yeah, fungicides, and and you're only talking about roughly three acres. Your greens. You're, that's the only area you're really treating. Um, trying to remove fungus from the greens that comes from where? Well, it's it's airborne. It's in your soils. It's always there. And um, these pathogens, uh, 
you know, love, love the Georgia climate, this hot humidity in summers, that kind of thing. And when your plant's under stress from heavy play, heavy traffic, uh, we've had a, a monsoon-type rains for a good year and a half. We're 30 inches above normal last year. We started this year the same way. So you put your plant under more stress, but we've come to, to be, realize that by having a strong, uh, healthy soil that we've, we are able to suppress diseases better than we were in the past using a lot of uh, fungicides and inorganics. So I can't quantify, but we just know we're saving money in, in, in our inputs and still providing a good product. Now, so is the fungicide, is that sort of the same uh, math problem, or is that the same uh, reality as, like, when I heard of a course becoming abandoned and then someone said that they were mushrooms growing on the greens? Is that is that what you're fighting? Yeah, well, they're, they're, yeah that's a, that is, that's fairy ring, and uh, that will grow. It's a, um, golf courses are susceptible to it, and, um, you know, some golf courses treat for it, others don't. Um, it's not an all-encompassing damaging disease, but the quality level demanded for our greens is close to perfection, and any blemish is considered, you know, a negative. So um, that's why the emphasis on the dollars and, and what we're doing is, is focus on the greens management. So the owner, um, Mr. Cupid, um, what is the pitch like when you when – you <laughs> well, I have allergies. That's for real. Yeah. <laughs> We're here a couple of days before the Masters. Um, thank you so much for having us out and for being a member of the oh. podcast. Well, you picked a great day. 70 degrees in uh, early April is is awesome. Remember, though, when I arrived here at 7, it was 37 <laughs> degrees. That yeah, was, I did point out the frost in the rough. Yes. That was impressive. Um, it, 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 it was such a beautiful morning. And, and if you're listening to the pod and you don't typically go on the YouTube channel, please do. That's going to be live at the same time as this. It's a wonderful, um, you know, educational experience. I'm really grateful that you um, have done the work that you've done so that because I'm fascinated by it. I think it's just so interesting, you know. Um, so so when you when you come in here and, and talk to uh, Mr. Cupid about his property for which he really let's talk for a second about not just sustainable environmentally, sustainable financially, the members are. Here at Rivermont, um, you know, we don't need to get into the financial details, but it's a very reasonable monthly fee. Um, I'm told that he doesn't make any assessments for improvements to the property, which is incredible. Right. For a single owner, and he's making these improvements every year out of his own pocket, which is also incredible. Um, so it, he's quite unique that way. And his support for our program is 100%. That's why a lot of golf courses can't do that because the demand for perfection's there and if why would a superintendent risk losing his job of maybe going this direction and it not working as well immediately that's that's the whole issue it is a slow go it's not a light switch oh i'm going to go less inputs and and you're there no it's it's you have to you have to bring your soil health up in stages so that you get there where you're suppressing diseases. And it's not magic, and it's not a cure-all. I do have to spray pesticides. I do have to spray fungicides. But, but again, we've reduced them by uh, 50 75%, um, and I feel like I'm on the right track. But 
research is so far behind, so we don't, we haven't learned what is more conducive to soil diseases and what's less conducive. So it's kind of a game that we're, we're mulling our way through and pioneering our way through to, to come up with these answers. You know, I mean, I kind of wanted to get to this a little later, but why? Why do all that? Well, um, you know, the, the easy answer is it's better for the environment. Um, I'm having a ball doing it, and I feel like it's a challenge that is a good challenge, and it's the future of our industry. It really is um, to utilize what we have. I'm seeing it in other countries. Sweden is it cannot use pesticides on their greens. Other countries are limited. It's illegal in Sweden? Illegal. Uh, correct. So they're having now. Granted, they don't have the pressure on diseases that in our that we do in the Atlanta environment. But, Why? Uh, well, you know, humidity, heat, rain. You know, there's uh, Scotland moderate, probably doesn't even need pesticides. Well, they do, um, and they have they're struggling, but they are having to learn answers faster than we are. Um, but in the United States, there's restrictions on fertilizer use. It's phosphorus, for instance, nitrogen limits. So it is coming to America. It's just slower coming, and I'd rather be ahead of the curveball and figure it out as best I can, uh, and, and rather than wait till the government says I must. You're kind of um, in the in the uh, in the in the turf care world. You're the you're the equivalent of sort of playing from the tips or or, or playing blades. <laughs> you're sort of choosing yeah, yeah. the harder option. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to remember that playing with blades. Yeah, that that defines it well. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, you're looking, you're, 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 you're looking at your vocation and you're asking to be challenged further, which is clearly a mark of someone who loves their job. It is. It is. I, 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 I admit that openly. I'm passionate about it. And, you know, what, what greater job can you have to, to love what you do and, and you can't wait to do more and learn more? I mean, it's, it's really an education and that's why we do a lot of research here in-house because there's so many answers that we don't have. I'm curious to know how you found this job. Um, I, I was uh, at the Stainer Club for 30 no, some I mean, years. No, I mean prior. Like, how did you come into golf originally? Like, how did you, oh, how did you um, find yourself? that's funny. Um, I was looking for a summer job. My dad says, why don't you uh, work on a golf course? I didn't even know the job existed, so I wrote to four different clubs, Peachtree, Atlanta Country Club, Standard Club, and uh, Capital City, and, and the Standard Club answered my letter and hired me on at 15 years old, and I fell in love. I said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. This is the greatest. What year was that, and what was your position? 1971, and I was just a summer uh, worker and a junior in high school, and I um, came back and uh, worked, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays and uh, went to ABAC and got my two-year degree. My boss had graduated from there and went on to the University of Georgia and hired me on as an assistant. So I, and he left to become the director of education at the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. He was he was president of the association while I was there. So I had a lot of time that I was the boss, and so they hired me on as the superintendent at 21 years old. And the interesting thing is, uh, we had Bermuda Greens, and that year uh, they hired me in May in. In August, I sprayed Roundup on them and converted the greens to bent grass. 
and then 35 years. When you say you sprayed Roundup, that sounds innocuous because I don't understand what you're saying. You're saying you murdered the Bermuda. Murdered the Bermuda to convert it to bank rack. You just went in and killed it. Yeah, at 21 years old, all the greens, <laughs> killed them all, converted to, to bent grass. Uh, we had done a practice green the year before, and then 35 years later, here I am on bent grass, and I sprayed it with Roundup to kill it to convert to ultra dwarf Bermuda. You've come full circle. Full circle, and brother, it's great being back. <laughs> <laughs> You're young again. You're young yes, again. yes, but the ultra dwarfs have made me uh, young again. So um, the, uh, I guess I, I don't. I was going to make a, a pun. I don't want to get into the weeds, but uh, I am curious to know the difference between bent and Bermuda, and just I guess, you know, the reality is down here. I guess I want to try to see if I know the answer. But you know, in in Georgia specifically, bent is popular because it lives. It lives throughout the hot summer and the and the cold. No, winter. no, you got that opposite. It's oh. it's a bear during the summer. It is very difficult oh, to keep it alive. Oh, bent is the one with all the fans. Right. It, it, you know, the parent plants came out of northern Europe and go 12 inches tall, and we're trying to cut it below an eighth of an inch in the hot, humid south, and it is very, very difficult task. You, you're an artist, and you're living on the edge because of, of all the pressure of what you do to that plant. But it has the shade tolerance, and it outperformed the Bermuda grasses at at the time back in the 70s and early 80s. So what what do the pro golfers prefer to putt on? Well, they've been saying uh, bent grass, but you know at the um, at the Tour Championship at Eastlake last year, I heard players and commentators saying it's the best greens they putted on on tour all year, and those were ultra dwarf uh, Bermuda grass greens. So um, I think. Ultra Dwarf is, is starting to fit in, but you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the golfers prefer the bent grass because they grew up with it and they think there's some mystique about it, but you know, you, you look at how a ball rolls and if it doesn't waver side to side at the end of the roll and it's consistent, you can keep a firm surface year round. And that's the thing for us in Atlanta, that Bermuda can be a more consistent speed day to day throughout the year, whereas bentgrass has, it's cyclical. When you're in the heat of summer, it's very difficult to keep those um, speeds up because your roots have shrunk up to a half an inch or something. So you're babying them through, you're watering them, you're not cutting them, you're doing everything you can just to make it through the dog days of summer. Um, what is the grass that that breaks uphill? Is that Bermuda or is that bent? Um, you know supposedly it's Bermuda and it's got that that um, notoriety uh, about it, the grain. Yeah. But these ultra dwarfs have very little of that. I think the golfers have heard that word grain, and then it's it's ingrained in their head that the, <laughs> that it breaks uphill, it breaks to the water, it breaks to the mountain, that kind of thing. But we've got some great cultural tools to keep that plant growing upright. So it's more of a perception than than a reality. Well, is it with Bermuda that as you get into the summer, you can't cut it as low, and so the grain Just the opposite. You're, huh. You know, these guys, uh, my counterparts, I mean, they're cutting at 70 thousandths of an inch in the summer. <laughs> I mean, they're in the dirt, and they can get those greens rolling at 14 if they want. And they've got clubs that outcompete each other to who has the fastest greens. Really? Um, and the memberships want that, and, it, you know, you're forejacking it all day. Who Who can have fun like that? But... 
they're used to it, and, and that's, that's what uh, some of these guys are, are able to produce. So in the, in the role of the super, do you, do you feel that they should discourage green speeds above what number? I'm thinking um, for average play, you know, the 10 to 11 and a half is a good range. It, it's not scary fast. Uh, you can drop some long putts because the ball rolls true, but you start getting faster and faster and, and play slows down. And that, I think, is a negative on our sport, uh, time to play the game. I would agree, and I've heard a lot of other experts say the same thing. When golf started, greens ran at like a seven. Exactly. The Masters, yeah, seven. What, what does Augusta run at now? They won't tell anybody, but I've seen him run a stimp. Yeah, um, my guess is 10 and a half to 11 because they have so much undulation that they, um, you know, they would be putting it off like the sixth screen if, if, if they got them any faster, you know. Right. Um, sixth green, good shout out. Not, not the most famous hole there. That's the par three? Par three, yeah. That's, that's yeah. not the, uh, the, you know, the hole doesn't get a lot of love. He's calling out obscure <laughs> Augusta holes. <laughs> Um, well, it's a, nice that you recall which one it was. It's a big <laughs> green, yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm curious to know, um, I wanted to ask you about the green speed, and then um, I, was, I, w- I wanted to know, I, I feel like there's probably some people listening who don't know um, how the stimp number is achieved. I'm curious if you could, uh, you know, I mean, I know, but I'd kind of like to hear you uh, explain this. Sure, it's just a, a three-foot stick with a groove, and the ball is, you raise the stick to a level, and then gravity takes over and rolls it down the stick, and it rolls across a flat area, and you measure that, and then you roll it back, and you take the average between the two, and that that's all it is. So, you, so it's feet. It's 11 feet. 11 feet, right. yeah, and that's considered, you know, fast or very fast for average play. Right. Um, you know, let's take a quick break. We'll go to a, we'll go to a little break, everybody. Take your seats. All right, Precision Pro, everybody. Precision Pro Golf makes amazing golf rangefinders that are the perfect combination of price and performance. Um, listen, whenever I see someone on the range or wherever I go, if I see someone with a Precision Pro rangefinder, I see a paisano, a countryman, someone who's not interested in basically overpaying for a product. Same the same way I feel about vice balls. You know, it's like it's just like. We cut out the middleman, we make a great product, and we get it out to you so that you can basically afford it. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I just, I would rather have uh, something that's good value, right? Uh, right now, the NX7 Pro is on sale. Whoa, $40 off. Go get it. $40 off. That's a good deal. What's even better is that you can get an additional $10 off for being a listener of the podcast when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's $50 off. I mean, jeez. I'm going to go get some. I've said that already. Over 800 verified reviews from real golfers can't be wrong. Here's what Ty had to say about his NX7 Pro rangefinder. He goes, uh, while waiting on the tee box in my last round, there was a hawk flying overhead. (laughs) The NX7 Pro is so fast and accurate that I was able to measure the distance to the hawk while it was moving. 178.4 178.4 yards, if you're curious. So that's about a, that's an easy six, hard seven. Um, if the NX7 Pro Golf Rangefinder can measure a hawk, it can definitely measure a flag. That's been my experience. Um, well, also, 
Ty's experience. Uh, go to precisionprogolf.com and use coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, to get $50 off the NX7 Pro Rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Okay, folks. Caliper CBD. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. Uh, who says taking care of yourself needs to be hot? What's great about CBD is that it helps you feel better without making drastic changes to your routine. I don't have a routine, but I still don't like to change it. Uh, but our droppers are full of tummy-tasting tinctures that best modern science has to offer. Anyway, meat caliper, a better way to consume CBD. Motivate your audience, CBD, CBD. This past January, Colorado State University published the first peer-reviewed study to compare how different CBD products on the market are absorbed and presented by the body, processed, processed by the body. Been a long day, folks. Get this. Caliper Sebada was found to deliver 30 times more Sebada than Sebada oil in the first 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. That's that's fast acting. You know what I'm thinking. Ten act. And Caliper gives you all the benefits of Sebada in just 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this oils can take up to two hours for your body to absorb. Anyway, listen, y'all. We believe Caliper believes everyone deserves a simple way to feel better. No taste that's weird and no oily residue or mouthfeel. Who hates a mouthfeel, my guy? I hate a weird mouthfeel. Precisely 20 milligrams in each packet of Caliper Sibida. Never question how much Sibida you're taking again. <laughs> Caliper Sibida comes in affordable 30 and 60 count packs. If you had a tough front nine, you might want to get the 60. Individual individual packets give you the benefits of Sebada wherever you go. Unlike some products out there, Caliper is completely touch. That's THC free and all the goodness of Sebada with no high. That's what I'm talking about. So go to caliper.com slash Anders to get 20% off on your first order. Use the promo code Anders. Try caliper.com slash Anders. Risk free for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund of your Sebada. Word. Oh, and features. 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 Discuss how a small change can make a huge difference. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I love, fe- I have features. They're socks, folks, first of all. And it's a family business. I like to get this point to the end. Hugh Gaither and uh, his sons, uh, John and Joe, started this company in 2002 in North Kakalaka. And uh, their mission was to create products to help you achieve your personal best. So these socks hug your feet like burritos anyway what do you love most about features uh <clears throat> oh i see this is like a q and I-, I like the way they feel on my feet very simple they feel kind of like <clears throat> you know when do you ever play like um like a like football when you were a kid and you would get all suited up and put all the armor on and everything and put the helmet on and the mouthpiece in that's what features are like for your feet it's like a football outfit for your feet uh, okay, so anyway, go to features.com slash Eric, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S dot com slash Eric, and get 10 bucks off your first set of burritos for your fetos. All right, back to the show. You know, one of my favorite things about 
spending time with you and, and a lot of supers around the uh, the golfing world is uh, your friend Berkeley. Uh, yeah, yeah, my best friend. I mean, you know, he's with me 24-7, so uh, uh, you don't see the wife and kids that often, you know? I'm going to say Berkeley is a 75-pound German Shepherd. 85 pounds. 85. 85, and uh, he's four years old, and uh, um, the most docile shepherd, I call him the ambassador. He always wants to jump off my golf car and say hello to everybody, and, and the members, to a fault, love him. And, you know, usually you'll have members that are afraid of dogs, especially big dogs, but uh, he's, uh, he's, he's the hero around here. Is there a purpose for uh, the so-called turf dog? The super's dog on a golf well, course. Well, of course. You know, we, I've trained him where he, he goes after all the geese, and we and have a blue heron. Because the geese problem is? It's just, you know, all the uh, crap, uh, and they like to do that around the green, so they make quite a mess. And same thing with the blue heron, and it's toxic and kills grass. So just by keeping them um, off of these areas, um, I love the beauty of a, of a goose, but... <laughs> but what they do for the, for the golf course is horrible, so we encourage them to find bigger ponds. So um, I have so many interesting facets that I really want to get into about what you've done at Rivermont. Uh, the, the first one I guess we'll start with is you kind of um, briefly mentioned the, uh, the birds and getting the membership involved. And, and so, you know, from, from what you told me earlier um, – well, I guess, I guess you know, you. I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, you, you, you. Uh, the original impetus was that you wanted birds, or you felt like you needed birds. Right. Um, Bluebirds at the time were, um, you know, in decline, and I really liked that bird, and and um, so we just started building bluebird boxes. You know, from my early days, you know, the Cub Scouts would build them and stick them on the property, and that's where I learned about them. And then I just brought it over here. But the mistake I made, I had bent grass greens, and we had 28 bluebird boxes, and you need to monitor them weekly. And it became overwhelming because I was so inundated with managing the, the greens, dragging hoses, keeping them alive through the death days of summer that they had to take a back seat. So I finally came up with, I need to get the membership involved. And so we did to a fault, and, and now they own that birdhouse. And... I hear about it if their birdhouse door is not fixed properly or something like that to, whoa, baby. So it, 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 it's great that they own them and they, they check on them and they let me know how many uh, eggs and how many have fledged and what type of birds. There's titmice and there's the black-capped chickadees and, and obviously the uh, bluebird. So, so it's kind of a fun project and it just brings more value to our members and membership that uh, we're doing these things and they can see them. And it's neat for the ladies to show a guest, hey, look, look, you can see a brand new bird that just hatched and it doesn't even have feathers on it yet. And it's kind of kind of a neat, neat extra. That's merely, um, it, it, it's a non-essential decision that that increases the experience of, um, you know, being where you should be on a golf course, which is in nature. Right, and, there, you know, there's so many naysayers, and I, and I like to just have people come out here and just look at what we're doing, take a look, see all the wildlife. You know, again, my dog speaks to it, too. If it's such an unhealthy environment, how, how do we have this just 
pup that just loves life and running around and see all this wildlife and see all these birds fledging. Uh, we had this um, woman that wrote a book on uh, pollinator bees. She came out here and looked at our wildflower plots. And uh, that's in conjunction with um, Syngenta. They have um, what they call Operation Pollinator. And um, she visited and she said in a, in a urban environment, she's never counted so many different types of pollinators from different types of bees. There's 700 different pollinator bees in Georgia, uh, butterflies, moths, um, birds, hummingbirds. And she had never seen that in a, in a urban environment. And, and her first instincts of a golf course was, well, we'll look at some flowers, but you know, we're not going to see much else. So, and she wrote the book, and she included us in in that book with those with those words. So, uh, again, it's just sh come and see rather than hey, I'll tell you we're we're doing good for the environment. Just come and see and make up your own mind. Is kind of my view. So, what what have your conversations been like with the owner over the past fourteen years? I mean, um, I'm sure that there, I'm sure it hasn't been easy. All of these decisions and then implementing them over time but but where where are you guys at now i mean from what i was told he said to you do whatever you want it's not about the members for per se it's it's about it's about doing what i believe and what you believe is important for not just the golf course but the community yeah but i'd say with a caveat that he is demanding that i have high quality turf and there's been times where, like the fairways, I was finding I was going lower and lower inputs. I cut my inputs uh, as far as fertility by 75%. And it was like, well, how low can I go? It's almost a game. Maybe I don't need any inputs. <laughs> and with all the traffic, they were wearing out. And he came to me and said, Mark, we got to do something. we gotta, we got to get some green color and vigor into this turf. And so we, we throttled back a little bit. So uh, he, he has a threshold that he's he's – I've pushed maybe a little bit too far, but all in all, he stuck with me, and, and I've had the backing, and that's what the superintendent needs. He doesn't need, yeah, it's fine. If if there's a little stress, let's dial it back. He, he's, he's hung in there on the hard days. So, um, but the good news is it hasn't been that many hard days. It's all been uh, relatively easy, I say, but, again, I'm going full bore on research and trying – and implementing things to, to do better each year. Because you could easily just have a truck show up with a bunch of chemicals, and you could turn this place into Augusta in a year. If you had that much money, yeah, yeah. It would it would maybe be more than a year, but you could do quite a bit. Right right now we've got enough money to maybe get the first hole looking like Augusta, <laughs> and, and then we'd run out. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what what's, do you, is, this course is an outlier in many ways, right? I haven't heard of a course that's this visually stunning number one congratulations good well, job thank you thank you um that's Very this architecturally interesting right i mean i'm seeing green structures uh, really really wonderful um green to tea experiences so i get off the green i walk right to the tea it's right there it, it tips out to 7160 which is a great number right it's, yeah, it's not yeah. 77 right it's not 69 right it's, it's a good number you got some you got I played a two 500-yard par fours on the front nine, and I loved it. I mean, I love having a four iron into a par four, you know? Yeah. Then I love having a sort of a half a wedge. It's a varied, you know, bones that you have to work with. And then as well, you know, 
you you've been given this creative opportunity within your own job that we've been explaining, but as well you have this really sustainable financial situation for the membership to join into a situation where kids can join here. 18 years old, you can join, you know, you can, you can afford to play golf in a private atmosphere and not that the private atmosphere is the value, but I think what you get at a private course is someone like you, you get to learn a little bit more and you get to become part of a community. And it's not so much, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know that I'm, you know, private clubs, there's a whole set of issues there that I, that I struggle with being in America. And I just wish I lived in Scotland every day of my life, but how about Ireland? Ireland I'm, too. I'm, I'm partial there. Is that family for you? It it is. And when I went there and saw what they were doing, like right off the tee, the high grasses, and I'm going, why am I cutting around these tees? And so we went from two and a half days of cutting rough to backing off, even around the tees and letting the grasses grow up. And it just, it, it's so powerful. And you know why? It's not it's not in play for a golfer. So, yeah, we keep tweaking every year and. Where's your favorite spot on this golf course? Do you have one? Do you have one spot where you go and you're just like, I feel calm. I feel like I did this right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's number twelve because of all the um, harvesting of our Andropogon virginicus, which is the broom sedge seed. Just off the tee there. Off the tee, and and it was just a wall to wall Bermuda, and we took out a lot of trees and added these visual framing grasses. It's just right out from my shop, so I get a lot of good pictures there, and I do a lot of my organic plot research on that hole. So that area, and then we've got the wildflower plots uh, right across from, from it. You know, one of the inter- other interesting thoughts, uh, things about Rivermont is that I didn't realize that it was the first of its kind as far as uh, northern Atlanta suburb, um, real estate development, golf course serves as an amenity to the home buyers the first right. of its kind right yeah we've we've invited the um the public over uh, a number of occasions to do a walkabout we have a field day uh every two or three years we're having one july 23rd and we invite the neighborhoods and neighbors and uh all, all the turf community and researchers and and because we do a lot of research here and just kind of spread the word and share what we're doing and uh, with them, and it's it's been a real grand thing. I, I guess what I was getting at, though, is this idea that um, now my brother lives right around the corner, and he belonged to Country Club of the South, relatively mediocre golf course, totally painted, totally fertilized, totally boring. Right? Can't. can't I mean, I think you're smiling. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty harsh with that. I don't. I don't care though. That doesn't mean I can't have fun. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. But if you want to talk about that side of it, there's nothing interesting to say. Um, but, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of friends there. That's that's not either here well, or there. Well, it's just a typical country club with, you know, wall-to-wall, tree-lined and home-lined houses. It was a real estate venture. Right. And, um, and that's an example of, I would imagine, of the 20 to 30 courses in this area that are all the same. They're all just sort of... Here's a course. Let's build some houses on it. And and this was the beginning of that, right? Because because when we first started talking, I was like, I thought most of the courses in this area were built in the 80s. That was like the boom. Am I right? Yeah, it was. It was. Yes, especially in this corridor. But I think they all would argue that they're they're unique in their their styles. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into that uh, design area. But I just we're when we say unique, we are very unique in, in all, all those facets from aesthetics to design to the 
grasses we use. And, that, and I'm hoping that, and we're starting to see some of the upper end clubs are starting to look, why are we maintaining these, these ridiculous acres at this high level of cost? And, and it has nothing to do with the playability. Do you have anyone you look to for inspiration historically in the game of golf? <laughs> um, I have a guess. <laughs> Go ahead, you guess. Well, you're an Atlanta guy. Yeah. It's got to be Bob Jones. Well, sure. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I didn't know the man. I, I, love, uh, I love his game and some of the sayings that he's – He's had, but I, I um, sure, yeah, Bobby Jones for sure, but uh, he hadn't been my inspiration for what I'm doing out here, um, and that I don't, you know, I really will have to think about that one. I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. Just yeah, well, maybe it'll circle back to it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, a lot. I feel like a lot of times when I get interviewed, they say, "Who, who's your inspiration? Who's your mentor?" And it's very hard to yeah. answer that because yeah. I think the truth is, is it's. Uh, that's like getting served a meal and being, what's your favorite ingredient? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll steal ideas from any and everybody if I think it's going to work or I think it's applicable to us here. So, yeah. um, What would you say overall um, your experience here has taught you? It's taught me that we can use a lot less inputs and still provide a high-quality playing surface. It's taught me that... Uh, there's more to the game than just the fine cut of grass and 100% pure purity that you don't have. The blemishes can go along with it, and you still can provide just fabulous conditions and enjoyment. And we just have pushed it to bring in so much more with the native grasses and the wildlife and and other amenities that that are part of of our golfing environment here. You, um, you know, you, I, I sometimes ask people to. Um, you, you're a golfer. You play a lot of golf. When did you start playing golf? Oh, I used to play with my dad. You know, as a boy, just go out on weekend and and hack it around and just and then I, when I first found out there was a, such a job as golf course maintenance and. And, and was hired at, at the Standard Club. I uh, I played all the time when I could. What would to what did you ever get involved in competitions or clubs or anything like that? Oh, there was the Atlanta Juniors. I played that, and um, you know I was just so so. I, I I did work for a living and uh, uh, enjoyed the maintenance end as as as, a, as much as I did the uh, the golf end. So I never uh, worked on the game like like you need to to. To, to be that grand a player. The, the game that really fascinated you was the grass. Yes. And my boss, you know, Palmer Maples, I mean, when I first, he was a, a researcher, and, and so he would set out plots of ryegrass to figure out which ryes were the best overseeding, and he would give me the charts, and we would rate them, and so those kind of things struck with me. We'd have the university researchers come to our golf course and lay out different uh, herbicides that were not on the market yet to try to eliminate this or that weed. And so I guess that, that stuck with me, and, and now I'm parlaying it into the other end of the industry, trying to use less inputs and, and the organic and what can we do that's, that's uh, environmental friendly and, and provide the same quality. Well, clearly this is moving in the direction of the future of the game, and um, I was uh, 
pleased to hear you offer the idea of continuing this conversation, not only just on this podcast, but if you're listening, um, you know, Mark is, you know, open to having this discussion, it sounds like, from what you said, with anybody who's, you know, like, curious about learning. Um, I find a lot of the times, um, you know, a lot of people are curious about, you know, wanting to leave their day job and work in golf. And, you know, I feel tremendously lucky that I basically fell into this like I was reading a putt and then fell into a bunker. (laughs) I don't know how it happened. Yeah, yeah. And so it's hard for me to describe to somebody else how to do that. But I do know that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities out there. And, you know, I just think that uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested, you know, I think that there's always an interesting angle to come into the game of golf. Um, What would you say overall golf has taught taught you, Mark? It's taught me patience that, um, you, you know, you, it, nothing happens instantly. Um, so it's taught me that it's taught me so much more to appreciate everybody that, that I work with and, and the environment I'm, I'm in. I just, I love it more each day and I'm feel so blessed to, to be able to share it with my family and um, and be very proud of what we've been able to produce and out here and and just can't wait to show it to people. I, I just love it. If you're listening, you probably don't know because you can't see anything. But as Mark answered that question, your eyes were closed for the most part, which typically means you're really involved in the feeling of what you're saying. I've found. Um, Sometimes I ask people to write a letter to golf. Would you mind starting off a letter that goes something like, Dear Golf? Man, you you like put people on the spot. Um, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, dear Golf, if you want to see the beauty of God's work in nature... Come visit Rivermont Golf Club and get an experience that's more than just hitting your next shot. Uh, You will appreciate how much more there is to offer, and it'll give you a new perspective on the game. That was good. I like you. You shook your head like you didn't like. You weren't proud of that. That was good work. (laughs) I'm a tough self-critic. You were on the spot. (laughs) Well, that's that's the mark of a good uh, creative. Okay. You need to hate everything I'll, I'll, you've I'll, ever done. I'll, 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 I'll take that. <laughs> I can't watch my own videos. I have a hard time. I really can't. I don't like it. We uh, we get a video, and I'm like, oh, God, I can't watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, but I really just really just want to reflect on, you know, just something I feel like I need to say is, you know, as we played out here, I played with Dave. You know, Dave came into my life through the podcast, through my, I don't know why I do the podcast. I really don't. I mean, Sure, we can, you know, it's sustainable and it, and it, and it's, but it's interesting to me, you know, and when I reflect back on, you know, why we got started with it, you know, and, and, you know, the, the interesting turning point for me was in a way today was seeing just how, I think Dave and I were talking on one of the tee boxes there and it was like, you know, golf is not, if, if golf to you is about your own swing, it's almost like get ready to hate it eventually. Yeah. Get yeah. ready to be dissatisfied because that's I 
That's like going to uh, that's like going to church for the cookies. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You can't sustain a lifetime right. if you don't see the incredible fabric that makes up the game. Well put. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't write that. I didn't no. Write that. <laughs> no, I mean I didn't. I didn't write that earlier. But I'm just riffing. I, I'm just. I'm just really inspired. I, I yeah. really because you know people who like you, you know, you know, being around that kind of energy and enthusiasm and curiosity is tremendously valuable. And so I'm just really like just so happy to have um, spent some time with you today. And again, you know, check out the video online if you oh, if you will. want to see more. Well, you'll see it, of course. But I'm I'm oh. there's thousands yeah, of people yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Basically, say hi to my mom and dad. Yeah, they're only an hour away from here. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I really appreciate the time. And, and tell your brother to come over here. He and, should. And look me up. He will. Okay. Yeah, Mark Hoban, everybody. H O B A N. Right. Um, Mark, you're going to get flooded with about five emails. Well, I, 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 hope, I hope they do, and I hope they come out to the field day on July 23rd. I'd love to have them. I'd, I'll, I'll talk about what I'm doing anytime, anywhere. I, I love it, so I'd be more than happy to share it. Well, I'll talk about it, too, and, and I look forward to coming back, and I look forward to um, you know seeing how this has an impact on all of the other golf courses in the world that you know may be struggling to find a solution that, works better for them i think the most interesting part of it is that the solution that you've the solutions that you've created are human solutions they're not golf centric they don't you know they're not they're not just gm centric they're not you know owner centric they're 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 community driven and that to me is um unfortunately goes against the grain sorry yeah of the stereotypical golf world and so would love to see this happen in mass and and to be understood by the community that surrounds the golf courses that you know that 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 golf is a welcoming game right we we do have a good story to tell and not just here everywhere um you know we're we're very well educated we're using less inputs um we're all doing a good environmental stewardship and and now i'm just kind of going in a direction that's taken us further further slanted uh, so to speak great well as your uns is that unsweet tea or sweet tea Un. unsweet tea has arrived in a large uh glass i think we're going to close out the podcast and um i really appreciate your time and well, I, I thank you for yours and your enthusiasm. At first, I thought, oh, you know, he's just kind of putting me on. Wow, this is this. But but I believe you now. You're very candid. When did you think I was open. putting you on? At the beginning of the podcast or earlier today? Uh, earlier today, you you know, you were so enthusiastic. I was like, most people aren't that enthusiastic. <laughs> but but I but I but I truly have come around to really uh, you know believing that you know in in and I do that you're sincere and and what you saw is. Uh, is um, made an impression on you. So I thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Well, you know, just as a side note on that, I mean, I know that you didn't perceive my enthusiasm as sarcasm, but mm -hmm. but it was, but I can see what you might think. I mean, I typically uh, am, I'm actually 16. <laughs> <laughs> we both are. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, uh, but, you know, I've actually tried to remove as much sarcasm from my life as possible. And and with that, I think it is, is born a bit more, you know, just kind of uh, it w people would call it. Um, what's the word they call it? Um, ah, what's the word they call it when people are serious? When they're when they're kind of sappy. 
Uh, I, I don't know, but you, you're making me think I, I need to take back the um, bad hair comment I made to you, especially when my hair looks worse than you yours. Look, we kind of have similar hair, though. I can <laughs> see that. It's kind of similar. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I didn't, it didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I could tell it was this compliment. I could tell. Okay. Um, but, uh, no, the word is, nah, I can't remember the word. Um, it starts with an R, I think. Anyone know the word I'm thinking of? It starts with an R. That seriousness? Respective? Uh, respect? We're really, we're, really, we're really closing out this pod with a bang. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, everybody. If you're still listening, I'll send you $5 on Venmo. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, like, it's like when you're really serious. It's like, it's like re, re, people say, oh, your Instagram captions are so blank. Real. No, not real. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like an insult, kind of. It's like uh, righteous. what? Righteous? No, righteous. No, righteous. no, no. It's like and maybe it doesn't start with an R. I'm gonna be very. I'm very rarely this. It's like one syllable. Anyone got it? It's it's. <laughs> I'm gonna pause. You can it. pipe it in. I'm gonna pause it and find it. Hang on. What is it? All right, I got it. It doesn't start with an R, but it kind of does. Earnest. Anyway, strive for earnesty. Uh, that's, that's a shitty ending to the pod. Sorry, everybody. Mark, have a good life. I'll see you in a couple months, probably. Everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great week. And hit Mark up if you're curious about the uh, wonderful science of these blogs.